Welcome to Hummingbird, conversations about creativity, arts, literature, and life with Catherine Graham and Jessica Outram. Hi, I'm Catherine Graham, and I'm coming from Toronto. We respectfully acknowledge that words and ideas have been shared on this land for thousands of years. The land on which we operate has been occupied by the Anishinaabeg, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. It is part of the Dish with One Spoon territory and is still home to many Indigenous people. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We are grateful to be here, connecting with others in the celebration of stories. And today we will be getting to know Jessica Outram through her poetry. For those of you who tuned in last week, I had the opportunity to share my journey about how it is that I became a poet and how grief led the way, losing my parents during my university years and living beside a water-filled limestone quarry, how that has served my imagination. And I read some poems. And today we're going to hear how Jessica connects to land, to poetry, and how her creative process works for her. And Jessica, lovely to be in this space with you today. Hi, Catherine. What a (laughs) wonderful day it is to be here together talking about the things we love to talk about. (laughs) Absolutely. And poetry and place what's not to love with those two p words right i think we found in our conversation so far both on the air and off the air that the, the p words keep keep arising they keep popping up <laughs> <laughs> there we are okay so there we're we so funny right yeah <laughs> So, so Jessica, there's much to tell with your story, and we will get to the poems as well, too. Would you like to start with your journey, how it is that you connected to poetry and your writing journey and place? Just go away and start where it is you'd like to begin and sharing your journey with us. Well, I had a lot of fun thinking about what I'd like to say today and to share. And I think the best place to start is on Georgian Bay. I'm a citizen of the Métis Nation of Ontario from the Georgian Bay community, and my parents still live there today in a town called Brit, which is an hour north of Perry Sound and an hour south of Sudbury. Both sides of my family have lived in that area since the 1800s. My mother's side, which is the Métis side, her side moved there in the 1860s-ish to start working at a lighthouse, the Giroux Island Lighthouse, Georgian Bay, right at the mouth to Bing Inlet Brit. Dad's family, when they moved there in the late 1800s, it was to work on the, the rail. My grandparents passed away quite young. Both of my parents lost their parents before they were 25. So I I didn't have a chance really to know my grandparents well. I knew my grandpa, Charlie, the best, and he's the one who had the cottage that my parents now live in. The town is somewhat like a one street town. The population there now is at about 300 people. It's still fairly untouched. It has just been the source of creativity for me since the beginning of my creative journey. I seem to always come back to wanting to write about it. So all up and down the road, there's family members from either side of the family, or there's a history within many of the homes and the places around, you know, my parents got married at the church there. My my mom attended 
the school. There's memories of the, the store and the post office and other relatives that lived there. My great uncle Ernest helped to build the, the Brit Hotel that was there. And so the history is really quite rich and wonderful. And it keeps finding its way into my poetry. And I have these wonderful memories of being a child. And my bedroom at the cottage was a loft. So you went up this double staircase to this loft area that was quite long and narrow and it had twin beds all along it. It had a wooden rail that you could see through and it, it was a bit scary if you got too close to it. It was closed with these curtains that you would slide from side to side. That was the privacy, I guess. I would lie up there and open the curtains and be with my notebook and writing and watching everything that was happening down below with my family. And it was just a really neat spot to write and to be. The cottage has really served to be a place of capturing my imagination. The woman who built it and owned it before us, her name was Margaret McDonald, and she was a school teacher from the United States. And I, I can't even imagine this, her coming down on her own, and sometimes she'd bring students. So when she sold the place to my grandpa, he seemed to leave a lot of her stuff in there. Mm. And she left behind and he left behind all of her books. So there were all these wonderful like Treasure Island, Alice in Wonderland, these old first to second edition books that she would bring with her. I remember just reading for hours up there and just kind of being lost in this, this idea of her as a teacher. The books that she had there were just so interesting to me because they were so old, you know, with bugs splatted in the pages and things like that. That, that sense of time and history and it was just amazing to me. I can't talk about the place without talking about family. Then that also happens in my poetry. Place family, all of that comes together. Growing up, we spent our summers up at the cottage and almost every weekend and always around family. We had great big sing songs and huge picnics out on the islands. I spent a lot of time outside fishing, swimming. I, like I said, found its way into everything that I've written from my poetry to my play. Once Upon a Rocking Chair was about a, a tradition our family had where the women of our family would go and we'd have a week at the cottage every summer and just spend time together sitting in a circle chatting on a porch about all the things so it'd be my mom and her sisters and then the daughters as we got older were invited to join too and it was just such a neat tradition that 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 became part of a play so you'll find when I share a poem with you you know the things that become important in there are things like the, the road this one road that leads that connects all of this family and history and time with both sides of my family tree the rock the green granite, the way it creates and forms the landscape, but also grounds us and is part of us. The water, the Magnetowan River, then uh, where my parents live, it's at the edge of the Magnetowan River where it opens out to Georgian Bay. And just that expanse of water and that difference between the river and the bay and how, you know, on the bay, it's water as far as the eye can see. And, and then I get lost in the skies and the different colors of the skies and how the personality of the sky can change day to day or even hour to hour. This particular poem, I've written it a number of times and it may have appeared in different places along the way. 
<laughs> but it's one of those poems that this moment was so profound for me. I keep coming back to this poem and rewriting it because I feel like I hadn't quite captured it yet and I wasn't able to do it. I thought that was an interesting one to come to first is one that I never feel is ever finished. This moment seems to happen again and again. And the first time I was aware of it happening, I was probably in my late 20s. I was living in Pickering at the time and the condo that I had called it the tower was a one bedroom and it overlooked the 401 and that was my view the cars going by it was concrete everywhere I didn't have connection to land or water or green space I tried to go for walks to the park but the park nearby had I called them dinosaurs uh, because they looked like these metallic dinosaurs to me but it was it was this almost like a line, like a field, a row of these massive energy towers. I only lived there a year because the effect of not being closer to nature was not good for my health. When I arrived, I just started crying. I I, I drove by myself and I just started crying in the car. And I, I didn't realize how much I had missed the trees, the sky, the water, the rock, and how much I needed that just to live and to be alive, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm awake in the world. So that's, that's the poem I'm, I'm going to jump in with if that's, if this is a good time for that. And then maybe we can pause and chit chat a bit. Yeah, no, that's great. Jessica. There's so much in what you've shared and thank you for sharing that. And also during our conversations that we've been having, and this is the hummingbird podcast, how you also, of course, as a poet, think in metaphor, just thinking about you going back to that place, somewhat like a hummingbird returning to their place and finding that sense of connection and history Mm -hmm. and so many layers there as well with time, with family, and the way mentors and people that we've never met, well, the people that we've never met can become mentors, I'm jumping the gun there. But that idea too of Margaret McDonald, her presence being there through her things and through the essence of what she's left having lived in that same space. And so there's uh, so much otherness, physical realm. And I think too, as poets, we're drawn to these energies and places of transition, much like what you described with the river and the bay, and how that shift from one thing to another is right there in front of you. But it also is subtle and also necessary to have one thing move to another place. It can't just happen in an abrupt way. There's there's a transition within that space, much like it is too for us when we move into different places in our creative journeys, learn different things, even in the same place as we change and deepen and so on. So yeah, I'd, I'd love for you to read a poem. That'd be great. You know, as we're talking, I'm realizing I need to do some more writing on Margaret McDonald. I think she's, mm. I think she's speaking to me right now and being with you because her name for it was Shay Lachat. Oh, home of the cat. Wow. So she had um, little cat ashtrays and cat things all around and Mm -hmm. had Shayla Shah in French painted on things. (laughs) 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 So I do think I have some writing I need to explore at some point. But for now, I'll write this poem that never seems to be finished Mm -hmm. um, about about the road, about the the place and about the, the family that is so important to be connected to by a place sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay, great. Okay, here we go. Relieved by springtime. A long winter faded and she finally drove north. Realizing her asphalt tower was like a prison, this condo she called home in the city. Toward abundant bushland, bay islands that knew things. She passed ghosts in grandma's cabins, 
a vegetable garden hiding rattlers, seabirds sleeping in the boathouse, a jar of jelly beans at the roadside by a tar-papered shingled house on this familiar shore, all there like a hologram. Ancestors waved to her from trees, even the black flies sang a homecoming. And when she stood by the river again, overcome by blues and greens, the concrete and traffic of the city shattered. She noticed a sunlit moon in daytime, then a ladybug at her feet. So she sat on her family rock by the water, between the sun and the moon, beside the ladybug for as long as she could, melting into the landscape that holds her like the palm of your hand. Mm, thank you for that, Jessica. And lovely to hear your love for this place, even before the poem. And when we experience the poem, it comes through in the imagery, in the way the language moves. And that ending that holds her like the palm of your hand, which is really a reaching out as well, too. Mm -hmm. And the spirituality of place. Mm. Long before, you know, part of our Métis story, and, you know, one day we'll dig in some more about poetry and identity and creativity and identity. And, and I'll, I'll tell some more of that, because uh, that's a big story. But, you know, what I'm learning more and more is some of the things that I that I did naturally around feeling that sense of church or spirituality in the land, feeling the comfort of the creator by the water and held by the rock. I'm learning more and more just how natural that is and how much that was a part of how my family moved through the world for, for many hundreds of years. So that, that piece of that being bigger than us and that place having that energetic pull to set us back into balance, align everything and make right. So I find, you know, I'm okay in the winter, but certainly by the spring, summer, I need to go there. And I, I cannot imagine a year in my life of not going there and being part of that landscape. My family members who have since moved away as well, because, you know, just some of the, the pieces around work is <laughs> it, mm -hmm. it start with work <laughs> so it makes it trickier to live and it is it is a very particular lifestyle and it's quite isolated so a number of our family has moved away over the last uh, generation they say the same thing that you know it's important to get back and to connect and that there's something that's not explainable in words like a mystery that's happening and you know and I think it's that connection to land over time that's just naturally part of how we move through the world Mm hmm. Almost like it's a skin that's, that's part part of who you mm -hmm. are. And when you're away from it, it's like part of you isn't whole anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You're working on poetry. And then there's also other pieces where you've written about place as well, too. I wondered if you wanted to talk about that. And you've also taken pictures and, and photographs as well. That, that's part of your creative process and things that you've shared. Did you want to talk mm -hmm. about any of those things? I would love to. Yeah, yeah great. Where, where, where to begin, Catherine? Where to begin? <laughs> um, so I'll, maybe I'll start with my photographs. Every summer, my dad will take me out in the boat every day. I want to go out in the boat every day. That's always what I want. I need to be on the water. You know, it's not enough for me to have this view that we call the million dollar view. It really is a stunning view at my parents' place. I want to be in it. I want to be in the scene on the water, feel the wind from the bay on my face. I always bring my camera with me and take 
thousands of pictures every summer, which is really just a boat ride at sunset, but we call it a sunset cruise. And we go out by the lighthouse. And my grandfather grew up in that lighthouse and our family lived there for over 60 years. There, you know, where where they were, which I think is important too. I take picture after picture and these sunsets are just Mm. incredible. And what strikes me is, you know, having done, taken so many pictures of them over the years is just how different they can be and how much personality is in the sky and how you don't know from day to day what it's going to do. And and that element of surprise, like I, I love to shop and (laughs) (laughs) it's better than shopping. And I, and I, and that sound, I don't know if that's coming out quite right, but you know, that little thrill you get when you buy that super cute dress that you're excited to wear. And I, I I think of this sometimes I'm like, it's like that feeling, but you're completely immersed in it. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's bigger and better than that. And sometimes when I've been away too long and I've gotten too caught up in, in our, our capitalist <laughs> ways in you know where I live it's it and I go back up there I realize how very little I need and 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 then I think I think if we paid more attention to the sunset we'd have less need to go shopping because it it somehow fills that that need for newness because the sky is just new new every day so yeah. I took a lot of the photos and and put them into a photography book with a number of photos that just came out last fall and I made it for my parents as mm-hmm. a gift and then I thought I bet you there could be other people that might be interested in this too not too many people know about Brit I find that the people who know it are people who are kayakers or canoers who go up there, but I find it's a pretty quiet place generally. And mm-hmm. it's hard to find documentation of history and, and culture about the place. So I've, I think I've also fallen into and gladly accept this opportunity to document my own family story and to document the place the best that I can and have even uh, put some blog posts up on my sunshine in a jar site that I've connected to all sorts of wonderful people who want to learn more about Brit and its history and then they find some of the photos and the stories and the postings there and the photos so it seems to all that seems to be connected and much yeah just just to, to say there's to the sense of what the the sunset experience is because it's a sense of receiving and discovering and, and being present in a moment that you don't quite know what's going to happen. Much like I think when we're in the creative process and writing poetry, we're, we're moved into a space or even reading a poem, we don't quite know what's going to happen and sort of just being in that space to let something unfold. And uh, I know from the sunsets I've experienced on, on Lake Huron in Southampton and also in Halliburton, it's interesting to think sometimes too that the after sunset can actually be more of a thrill than the actual sunset because of the color changes in the clouds and the sky it can it uh, can be quite spectacular and that can almost sneak up on you as well too and you think oh the sunset and then boom here comes this incredible uh right. light fantasia experience <laughs> Absolutely. And I have been known when I've been there at my parents more than once we will be inside and the sunset will start and I'll run out with my camera and take pictures. And then mid conversation, I'm just bolting out the door again and again, all (laughs) evening, because the sky keeps changing for about an hour. (laughs) Yes, it is. And, and, And you look away and then you've missed something. Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing. And so speaking of sunsets, this, this, mm-hmm. this was a, this was a nice little segue that wasn't planned. Um, <laughs> 
I was going to read another passage for you. I wrote a, a picture book in the summer called Bernice yeah. and the Giroux Island Lighthouse. And it's inspired by stories my great aunt Bernice told me. And she was like a grandparent for me. Mm-hmm. And now I've started a chapter book called Bernice and the Georgian Bay Gold that I'm just over half done. And I thought this is just a draft, but I thought I would read the opening of this because Bernice goes out and I wanted to start the book grounding her in the land and the place and her relationship to that as being a primary relationship. Mm-hmm. She's a child in the book. She still is very independent. You know, when you grow up on an island, you can go paddle the boat and leave the island. <laughs> things are different. And it's in 1914. So things are different. The six-year-old now is potentially different than a six-year-old in 1914 mm-hmm. in some ways. She does. She she goes out and this is her experience of sunset. So Maybe I'll jump into that. Yes, and we can please continue do. Chatting. At sunset, I love to paddle out into the bay to watch the sky change colors. On the water, I felt free and strong, connected to everything and everyone. It was my favorite place. I pulled my braids out to let my hair loose in the breeze. Leaning back into the boat, I stared up into the sky as it turned from blue to gold. It was a perfect summer night. The lighthouse perched on its island of granite, pines, and spruce trees. It glowed in the setting sun. The white shingles, red roof, and light tower shined from across the bay. West of the island, it was water as far as I could see. There were other small islands nearby, mounds of rock that looked like the backs of sleeping dinosaurs. Today, I could see the Killarney Mountains far off in the distance. Earlier, Ernest and I played on the south shore in Whitefish Channel. It was a narrow waterway that was easy to paddle, lined with lots of islands to explore. This little rowboat could take us anywhere. The Lorraine Club was in Whitefish Channel and the only structure we could see from our island. It was built as a men's club for managers who worked at the sawmills as a place to relax and fish. We always stayed clear of them. Never trust a man in an ascot, Mom said. Hankies are for your nose, not your neck. South of the lighthouse, just past the range light, was the Bing Inlet Channel. This was where all the excitement was and where we went to school. On weekdays, my older brothers paddled past Clark's Island, down the Magnetowan River, into the town of Dunlop on the left side. Big Inlet was a bigger town on the right side, but we barely went there. I don't know why. As the big ball of light sank into the water, the sky looked like it was on fire, red, orange, and purple blended. I stood up in the boat and hollered, good night, son. Then I paddled our little rowboat back to the dock. Thank you for that. Yes. It's just, you know, story really brings something to life. It really does. And I love, I love the the mother's comment, never trust a man in an ascot. <laughs> Hankies are for your nose, not your neck. <laughs> well, that's apparently something my grandmother would say all the time. Oh, I just thought I, I quite liked that one too. So throughout, I like to try and weave in some of those family stories, but I feel with this book, it's fascinating, Catherine, because I'm not writing it. I honestly think my great aunt Bernice is writing this book and mm-hmm. I'm just showing up for the ride. I love that. I love that when that happens as part of the creative process where you Mm -hmm. connect into something that's bigger than yourself. And it's as much a mystery to you as to anyone else. And you're just seeing where this energy leads. And there's something greater at work that's guiding, you know? 
Yes, I know what you mean. And I spoke a little bit about this, I think it was last week and the way that that my mother who I lost when I was 19 appeared to me after my surgery when I had breast cancer, and I really felt her presence. And through that experience that led me to write my most recent book, Ether and Out of Body Lyric, and how I did feel guided by her and signs and portals appeared to me as well too. feathers, I all of a sudden just noticed, I mean, they've been there all along on the sidewalk but they were appearing to me at a deeper and more intimate way and becoming talismans for me and my connection to my mother. So every time on my walk to and from Princess Margaret Hospital, when I would see a feather, I would feel, okay, things are going to be all right. Just keep going. It was a sign that I was on this pathway and I wasn't alone, whatever sense that meant. And of course, there's many ways that the otherness of life is, is with us and different beliefs and so on. But for me, it really connected to my mother and the spirit of her. And, and I too have had mentors that I've never met. I know we're going to talk about that in some upcoming episodes. And so there's much to talk about by how we as creators respond to what's around us, not just place, but also what's the invisible essences of place as well too, and people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's powerful stuff. I feel so grateful to have that presence as part of my creative journey. And the biggest thing I've learned about creativity is that it's about connection. And Mm -hmm. in this time where, you know, we've had so many things disconnect with our routines, with being able to see people in person, I, I feel really grateful. I feel great. I think it's because through creativity, I'm able to connect and develop relationship that that goes beyond the tangible. That's a lot of what happens in writing poetry and in writing prose. It's like I have this this whole, you know, gathering of trees, this body of water and this community of ancestors that all come together and fill the room and we write together. And I feel just such a gift that that happens. And I, I try, I try not to understand it because it feels too special, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think too. I mean, I think about when we look at the stars, you don't see them. If you look directly at them, you, you have to look to the left or the right to see them. And I feel too, it's much like our experience with the creative process, how don't look it straight in the eye. (laughs) It'll disappear. We'll talk about Emily Dickinson in future episodes too. And it makes me think about tell the truth, but tell it slant. Don't go into it directly, but the slant is part of it as well too. And the slant is needed for the seeing and and how the seeing can be something that you need to be gentle with as well too. Mm -hmm. But I know we're probably going to be winding down fairly soon. And I really want us to get to your last poem because I really feel that your last poem and how it ends connects to the poem that I shared last week. And Jessica... Yes. Share this poem with us. <laughs> I would. And I feel too Thank that you. I'm I'm hoping this poem kind of ties ties the pieces we've talked about today together and the way that I enter into writing and that sense of writing and community and going through life and community and community being not just the people who are with me, but those who are not, and the land and water as well. So this poem is called She Doesn't Travel Alone. She doesn't travel alone. Go gently together, alive in these waves with white caps. Dip. Taste the spirit of time and hold on to breath in a swarm of mosquitoes. Slice. Wind shouts hot pain sometimes. Portages can be heavier than regret. Dip. Grandmother's stories fly like geese around cloud shapes. Slice. 
grandfather's paddle draws new maps in old waters. Thank you for that, Jessica. You're welcome. Yeah, it's interesting because connection is key, I think, to the creative process and to relationships and to community, to all of those things. And in reading this poem, it made me think too of how the poem that I shared last week's episode, Back to the Quarry, and it ends with the line, dive in, turn to water before it freezes. Then thinking about how your poem ends, Grandfather's Paddle draws new maps in old waters. And if I just shorten the draws to draw new maps in old waters, I feel that they're both sort of doing that sort of thing about connecting to to water and to different ways that we can move within water and also the sense of layers that we have as well too. And the sense of, I guess, carpe diem and dive in, turn to water before it freezes. The moment is the moment. Because right now the water is pretty much frozen over, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I I find I'm I'm going all sorts of places now with that because it's it's always interesting when you can find those connections between two poems. Like they were like it's like they're talking to each other, you know? Mm -hmm. It's been such a pleasure listening to your story, your sense of connection to place and to poetry, to the people uh, who are no longer with us, and and also the the beautiful images that come up with the sunset and and also with the poetry. So thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you, Catherine. We'll continue the conversation next time. We will. And so we finish our chat with Just Another Day by the talented Shannon Linton. (laughs) 